Hey, my name is David Thibodeau, and welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast, the podcast that explores all the ways that sport can put purpose at the center of what they do to have the maximum impact. In today's episode, we are talking about the future of mega sport events. To talk about this, we have Kellyanne Paul, who is the CEO and President of the Canada Games Council, talking with us about the future of the movement and what her advice would be for uh, hosting megasport events in the future. Before we get into today's topic, I wanted to introduce a new segment of the podcast. So this new segment will um, hopefully happen each episode. Um, I can't make any promises. It might not happen every single episode, but um, we'll, I'll, I'll try to make it happen every time. It's going to be a segment where I talk about and sort of introduce a sport-related news story that I think isn't uh, being talked about as much, or you know, something that I really want to be that I that I think should be highlighted and celebrated more. So the news story for today um, is that Quebec City inaugurated its new harbor bath on July first, twenty twenty-two. So on, on Canada Day. Um, this is about 30 years after swimming enthusiasts started advocating for safe public access to the waterways uh, of the St. Lawrence River in Quebec City. So it's bounded by floating docks. Uh, the new harbor bath is called the Oasis du Port de Quebec. It's this uh, Olympic-sized uh, swimming pool with five swimming lanes separated by cables. Eventually, their plans are to add a floating wading pool for kids and a 625-square-meter relaxation zone for people who don't want to swim laps. The harbor, la- harbor baths are extremely popular, popular in Europe, but this one is the very first one in North America. And I think this is really awesome news. And I think it's totally amazing that, you know, we can, uh, you know, that, that the people at Quebec City can now enjoy the, the you know, the river that goes, uh, you know, right through their city um, in, in, a, in a more intimate and more um, accessible way. So it's so it's really awesome, and I hope that this keeps happening all along St. Lawrence and you know in other in other cities in Canada and North America and all over the world as well. So that's that that's the new story for today. Um, hopefully, um, you you know thought, thought this was a good segment, so we'll, we'll keep this going. Now to get into it, to set us up a little bit for this conversation, um, first we'll just talk about a bit about why I think that this conversation was really timely. So, you know, we live in a time of great disruption. Um, there's lots of things being questioned. There's lots of polarization in our world. And sports is not immune to this polarization and, this immune, and it is not immune to these questions of their worth and what their value is, especially with these mega sporting events that cost, you know, millions and, you know, when we go up to even the Olympics, billions of dollars to host these events. So what's the value of them? So everybody knows, um, you know, the Olympics are very costly. So, you know, Beijing 2008 cost, you know, about $52 billion. Vancouver 2010, $8 billion. London 2012, $13.3 billion. Sochi 2014, $59 billion. And, you know, this goes on. Now, the International Olympic Committee did recognize that, you know, these huge numbers were not um, exactly um, sitting well, that well with the public. So they introduced Agenda 2020 in 2014, which had 40 detailed recommendations to modernize 
the International Olympic Committee, uh, the the games, and and the whole movement as, and the uh, the movement as a whole. These forty uh, recommendations cover sustainability, gender equality, and a whole bunch of different things. It's now called Agenda Twenty Twenty Plus Five, <laughs> taking it into the future. So, some of the things, um, you know, some of the ways that, uh, you know, sport events are now trying to have a social impact are, for example, the you know Paris twenty twenty four is they want to be the first climate positive games. So they want to leave their climate and their environment in a better place than when they started looking at this. And I don't want to talk about the Olympics too much because there are um, other aspects of sports as well. So another example is um, the FIFA World Cup in 2026 in, uh, you know, it's a, it's a triple, it's a three people, three host countries. So Canada, United States, and Mexico. Um, some uh, some of the games are being held in uh, the Canadian province of British Columbia. And the government expects nearly that, you know, $1 billion in revenue could be brought in through the tourism. I'm not sure exactly where that number comes from, but, you know, it is a scene, you know, so they're, they're, they're estimating that they're going to spend about $240 million to $260 million to, um, to plan, stage, and host the FIFA World Cup in, in British Columbia. But they're expecting a billion dollars in revenue or you know economic stimulus in other ways. So we'll see if that actually comes to be. And even in you know I want to give us an example of an even smaller play of a smaller sporting event. So the Canadian Hockey League um, has a Memorial Cup, and this year it was held in the in the city that I'm actually in right now, uh, Saint John, New Brunswick, and they estimated that that there was at least a 10 million dollar spin-off from the Memorial Cup run. So it's quite interesting to see um you know where these you know what the economic value of these games uh, of of games can be. And so you know, we'll we'll talk about that a bit. And now to talk about a little bit about the Canada Games. So the Canada Games brings together more than 2000 able-bodied athletes and athletes with physical and intellectual disabilities for their largest amateur multi-sport event in the country. There's, you know, about 30 different sports, um, and they showcase, you know, youth talent from across the country. We have, you know, every province and every territory is represented. Uh, people from every uh, community has had somebody go, um, and, and it's a real celebration of the country. So full disclosure, I am a huge fan of the Canada Games movement. I went to Canada Games for Team New Brunswick in 2013 uh, for swimming. And since then, I've uh, done some work with them, um, you know, to, to sort of raise the profile of, you know, LGBTQ inclusion in sport. Um, I helped with, uh, I was on the um, steering committee this past year for their strategic review, which was um, implemented are implemented, announced in uh, April, um, and they're going to be implementing it, uh, you know, starting this year for the next over the next four years. And we'll, we'll we'll talk about that with Kellyanne. And I'm also part of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. So you know, for furthering that message of um, you know, make sure that the Canada Games uh, reflect the diversity of the country and that we are being inclusive for 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 everybody at the games. So. Yeah, have a listen.
So hello to my guest today, Kellyanne Paul, the president and CEO of the Canada Games Council. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, Kellyanne, could you tell us a bit about yourself to start off? Absolutely. David, thank you very much for having me. Um, so I have been working my entire professional career in the not-for-profit sports sector. Um, I'm extremely honored to be able to be working um, in this sector and for um, the sport community that I'm so passionate about. Um, I've done sport my entire life. Um, I was a sprinter converted into a rugby player. Um, I was fortunate enough um, at Queen's University to be able to participate in both um, track and field at the time and, uh, and rugby. Um, sport has given a lot to me across my life and I'm really thrilled to be able to give back uh, as a professional and then um, also as a volunteer in the sector. Yeah, awesome. And I think, you know, I, um, I think a lot of people can resonate with that message that, you know, sport has given themselves them so much of, you know, to them in their lives and they want to give back to it as well. So what are the Canada Games? What, like if someone was asking, if, you know, someone had no idea what the Canada Games are, say they're from, um, you know, Czech Republic, what, what would you say that the Canada Games are? <laughs> so um, we are a multi-sport games, national in scope. Um, but if, if someone were from another country, I would probably use the phrase that we're effectively the mini Olympics for youth in Canada. So we are a, a national multi-sport event, um, for developing athletes in this country. So we are a key sport development tool at the sport, uh, at the prov provincial territorial levels. Um, and we effectively host, um, you know, seven between 17 and 22 national age group competitions in a two week window at each Canada Games. Our games are held every two years. We alternate summer winter, just like the Olympic Games program. Um, and we travel coast to coast to coast in Canada. So it is a competitive um, bidding process. Um, and uh, our next games are in Niagara in the summer of 2022. And then we have a winter games following immediately in the winter of 23. And then our next host community is St. John's in the summer of 2025. And Whitehorse Yukon is bidding to host in the winter of 2027. And I know that you, David, are very well aware that in 2029, the Summer Games will be back to New Brunswick. And we haven't yet launched that bid process for New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so really clear across the country, every province and every territory, um, you know, participates in the Games. So it's, you know, truly, you know, a celebration of Canada and the diversity in, in, in our country and ce celebration of, you know, youth and athletes in our country as well. Um, and... Uh, it, you know, usually we don't have the, the two games right back to back, but because of COVID, similarly to the Tokyo Olympics, we did uh, post, you know, you did, you did postpone the, the Niagara 2022 games from, from last summer. Um, so everyone is <laughs> really looking forward to, you know, the next, you know, six, seven, eight months of whatever of Canada games just straight through. Um, it'll be awesome. Um, so, you know, recently the Canada Games Council launched a new strategic new strategic plan uh, for the next four years. So from 2022 to 2026. So what's in it? What is it about? And why do you think it's important? All super good questions. Um, look, we're really excited about it. So we um, underwent a pretty extensive community consultation process. So 
Um, we do believe that uh, through the power of sport, we strengthen the fabric of Canada. Um, and it's important to us that we hear from our host communities, from our national sport organizations, the multi-service sport organizations, from our government partners, our host communities. So we did a lot of consultation, worked with our board of directors and our committees. Um, David, we're very grateful that you sit on our equity, diversity and inclusion committee, as well you were on our strategic plan steering committee, weren't you? Um, so look, our, we've come up with five strategic priorities that we really do believe reflect the interest of youth in Canada um, and our games are, are for youth and about youth. And we also believe that they reflect um, values of Canadians. So um, our first strategic priority is to reflect Canada's diversity. So as you know, this is really topical um, across the country and internationally. And, and we believe this right through to our core. We've done some great things. Um, you know, we're the most inclusive games in the world. We have events for athletes with a physical disability, events for Special Olympic athletes. Um, and uh, we have... Um, Lacrosse is making its debut on the 2022 program, which is really response to um, some Indigenous requests to have that sport um, put back onto the Canada Games program. So even though we think we're doing a good job, we need to make sure that we are and we're positive that we can do better. So um, that's part of our strategy over the next four years. Um, our fit in the Canadian sports system is essential. So we need to make sure that we're contributing to Canada's ability to um, put athletes on the podium and have athletes do their best at the international levels. So um, our, another strategic priority of ours is to reinforce the high performance pathway. So we're extremely grateful for the collaboration we have with the national sport organizations on our program. Um, and we work, we work hard to make sure the age positioning and the venues and the competition um, is uh, age appropriate for developing athletes at the Canada Games. Um, we're happy to say that um, on average about 40% uh, of um, Olympic team athletes are Canada Games alumni. Um, and we're also expanding kind of almost beyond, the, you know, there are also alumni that work in the political sphere, etc. So um, just tracking those alumni um, are important to us, is important to us. Another strategic priority is reimagined funding. I mean, where would we be as a not-for-profit organization if funding wasn't a challenge? Um, you know, um, it's important for us to do the best that we can, and we believe we could do better if we had a more diversified um, sources of revenue. So we'll be working um, to supplement our public sector funding with private sector funding, um, and ideally building new, um, new programs as a result of new revenue streams. Um, so right now we don't have a, a truly developed philanthropic program, and our intention is to see if we can do that. Um, so that's the funding piece. We also want to, you know, reach greater audiences. So the Canada Games um, has often been referred to as Canada's best kept secret. And we wanna make sure that we never hear that again. Um, you know, the games are reflective of Canada. We have all 13 provinces and territories in the country rally around the Canada Games are united. Um, our games are often opened by the prime minister, closed by the governor general. Um, we're extremely lucky in this country to have um, 
an institution and an event like this that that is um, coast to coast to coast and is about developing and all things that are important to Canadians really. So um, reach greater audiences and make sure that we're better known and supported by the public and the media as part of our strategy. Um, and finally, where would we be without recognizing the importance of the environment right now um, in this day and age? So reducing environmental impact of the Canada Games and the movement is something that we are um, working on. Um, and, you know, we do believe that we can make change and make sure that we are um, not damaging the environment for generations to come. So it is topical and it is something we recognize is important to youth and it is important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Sorry. And, no, no, it's okay. It's, it's great that there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, you know, I, I really wanted to do this episode with you about, um, you know, sort of the, the future of sport events, because I think that, um, you know, a lot of people really are questioning you know, especially, um, especially mega sport events, you know, your Canada games is a really big event. Um, uh, and then, you know, even bigger events like the Olympics, right? People are always questioning, is it worth, you know, is it worth the money? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the effort? Um, is, you know, is it worth the taxpayer dollars to host the Olympics? Um, and so, so I, I'm, I'm really interested to know, like, what you think the value is of, you know, hosting sport events still in this day and age in that, you know, we have a lot of disruption going on. And so I, I think it makes sense that we're questioning that we're, you know, that we're questioning these things. Um, but like, what would be your case to, to, to keep the games, the Canada games, the Olympic games alive? Absolutely. I mean, there's a massive um, intangible social impact of hosting the Canada Games, the, the networking and the bringing together of the 13 provinces and territories. I mean, Canada is a massive, massive country by um, landmass, right? So to bring the country together, there aren't many opportunities for youth in their development to actually have that experience. So um, nation building and that unity impact is extremely important. When it comes to sport in Canada, we, you know, they're really, we really do have um, an infrastructure deficit and the Canada Games are a catalyst to build tremendous um, sport infrastructure and improve aging sport infrastructure across the country. So we're grateful for um, the base level funding from governments um, that they give to the Canada Games for capital infrastructure. And we've had hosts be extremely successful to leverage additional opportunities for sport infrastructure development. Um, and in addition to sport infrastructure development, there's also sport programming development from hosting the Canada Games. When a community is prepared to host, they have the opportunity to build institutional knowledge and in how to actually host an event. And we've left communities with additional sport programming. Um, you know, Prince George didn't have a, an artistic swimming program then called Synchro. They didn't have a synchronized swimming program before they hosted the Canada Games. And then coming out of the Canada Games, they did have a, um, a synchro swimming program. Another piece is it, it's not just the building of the infrastructure for the athletes that compete in that infrastructure at the Canada Games. Following the Canada Games, um, we have several Olympians that train 
off the Canada Games venues. And that's where they got their start. And without the infrastructure development at Mount SEMA and the freestyle mogul courses, I might get all the athletes' names wrong. There's so many alumni in my mind, but we have a lot of examples where alumni trained on Canada Games um, infrastructure, and that's how they were able to learn and make it onto the next level. So when it comes to kind of the notion of um, the future of sporting events, I'm confident that we need to do some work. We need to make sure that we have as positive a social impact as possible and as positive um, a sport development impact. That's at least for us in Canada. That's really important. The Canada Games is about developing, developing sports. So, and one of the last things about hosting the Canada Games is that we have tremendous support from the provincial territorial governments. So the PTs fund their teams, they develop coaching programs, training programs, and there's you know, additional support available for as a result of the Canada Games. So um, the Canada Games contributes greatly to sport development in the country, um, reaching down to the provinces and territories and connecting up to the NSOs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you, when you were talking about uh, the infrastructure legacy piece, I, you know, I, so I'm from New Brunswick, which is, you know, one of the smallest provinces in Canada. And our only 50 meter pool in the province was a Canada Games legacy infrastructure piece. Um, and I'm just thinking like, it's the only 50 meter pool in the province. It's one of four in the Atlantic provinces and two of those four are Canada Games legacy pieces. So, you know, it, it really goes to show that, you know, especially in, you know, you can say, you know, in bigger cities like Toronto or um, Montreal and, and stuff uh, where, the, where they can actually, you know, where they have more ability to build these facilities that, you know, they, these facilities have a really big impact on their communities, especially in the smaller provinces and smaller, smaller communities like Prince George, I'd say, you know, as you were saying, the artistic swimming club. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that the, you know, the Canada Games has an impact on sport, but then also just like, you know, community infrastructure spaces for people to go and be healthy and live like active and healthy lifestyles. Um, Absolutely, for sure. And I mean, we look at, you know, we just, Toronto just hosted the Pan Am Games and um, look at what they built. You know, there, we have a, a velodrome in Milton now in Canada, the only one because we hosted those games. Um, and we have the new aquatic complex, the name, I can't believe it's escaping me. I guess this is what happens sometimes on podcasts, apologies. <laughs> but, um, we have the new aquatic complex, which is where the Canadian Sport Institute of Ontario is based out of. And then we think about Vancouver and all of the infrastructure legacies left out of there um, and Calgary. And I mean, Montreal, I mean, a two hour drive from, from Ottawa where I live. I mean, look, we're still using all of their infrastructure from the 76 Olymp Olympics. And it's not just about the infrastructure either. It's also about, you know, inspiring Canadians. Um, and I do think major events inspire Canadians. Um, you know, I have three young children. I was remiss to not mention that in the opening comment when you asked me to say a few things about myself, but I have a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a five-year-old. And, you know, watching um, the Olympics with my 10-year-old and five-year-old who, you know, participate in sport at the grassroots level, it's impactful for them to see Canadians excel um, at the international stage and amazing for them to see the world come together at these massive sport events. So we replicate that on a national scale at the Canada Games. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, definitely inspirational for Canadians to watch. And also, um, you know, in terms of, you know, 
I guess moving forward on like um, important inclusion pieces as well, you know, so the Canada Games uh, is unique where it has para-athletes, special Olympic athletes, and uh, able-bodied athletes all competing at the same time. Um, it, that's a very, you know, very unique way of, um, you know, social inclusion, of, you know, bringing people together and showing how we can actually be an inclusive society where everybody's, you know, you know working together at the same time. Um, and then I also know uh, this summer at the Niagara 2022 Games, they're also, you know, doing a lot of um, pride initiatives for, you know, um, increasing inclusion of LGBTQ athletes. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just for athletes, it's also, you know, community members as well. Um, but, you know, so there's a lot of ways that sport can be used for, you know, inclusion aspects as well. That, um, and, and not, you know, not just the, uh, I guess like, you know, it, it, it adds to social cohesion of communities is what it does. A hundred percent. Very well said. Yeah. Um, and so that's reminding me a bit of the mission that you did mention back um, earlier when you were talking about the, the strategic plan. So the mission is through the power of sport, we strengthen the fabric of, fabric of Canada. So what, what does that mean to you? I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we were on the uh, uh, steering committee for the review for the, for the strategic plan. And there are some questions about it. Um, you know, there's some, there, um, some people were like, you know, we're not entirely sure what it means. So, so what does it mean to you? Yeah, no, it's a good question. The fabric of Canada, it's an, it's an intangible, right? It's one of those things you're, what does that mean exactly? Um, the fabric of Canada basically means um, in, in my words, you know, what we value as Canadians and um, that we, we value inclusion, we value being connected, we value our country, we value sport. So strengthening the fabric of Canada to me is the whole concept of nation building, connecting Canadians um, and connecting the Canadians through, um, through sport, right? So using this incredible platform, which is about developing youth through sport um, to unite the country. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And that's, you know, that's, that's also what it means to me. And I, um, so we actually had an earlier episode this year called grassroots sport diplomacy. So it's, you know, very similar to that, to that concept. So um, anybody listening should definitely go check out that episode um, to turn to, to learn more about that sort of, that sort of concept of, um, you know, using sport for unity, for cohesion, for, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that whole national unity piece um, is really, you know, a really hot topic right now here in Canada. <laughs> you know, it seems like we're always just hearing people say, you know, politicians say how divided we are. We've never been more divided than, than we've ever been before. Um, and, and the Canada Games, we have two coming up in the next eight months. So, you know, hopefully um, we will see, you know, the, the, you know, the country come together a bit more, um, even though we've been, you know, supposedly very divided. Um, and as I'm sure, you know, lots, many other countries have also been uh, feeling the impacts of polarization and, and um, th those things over the last two years during the pandemic. Um, so I guess like, so a lot of conversation is, is happening around the sustainability of large sporting events. So, you know, we've talked a bit about um, like it's the value of them. Um, so like, you know, so large sporting events like the Canada Games, um, so their environmental impact. So like how, how do you see the Canada Games reducing its environmental impact? Like, how can we do that? 
Yeah, no, really awesome question. And don't know the answer right now, but in our strategic plan, we're going to figure it out. That's our plan to commit to figure it out. So we have done some pretty good work in this space. So we've been working with a consultant who's taught us how to think. So again, we're not for profit with charitable status. We're a very thin staff team to accomplish our mandate. So we don't have the expertise and we can't afford to hire full-time expertise in this environment piece. So um, we were able to work with a consultant who taught us how to think um, the way we would need to think in this space. And so they were able to break down our opportunity to um, positively impact the environment or at least reduce our negative um, impact in three priority areas being climate, um, pollution and waste, and the natural environment. So there's kind of three key issues, goals, actions, and timelines in this roadmap that um, we've de developed. So it's our intention to publicly launch um, our strategy um, within the next three months and um, move forward on those commitments. As soon as you say it out loud and you put it on writing and it's available on your website, you're accountable to it. So part of the prime piece in the environmental strategy is to make sure you say it publicly um, and commit to it. And that is our plan. Yeah, no, here, here is, is um, that accountability piece is very, very important. Um, you know, we see it all the time that, uh, I guess, you know, greenwashing, you know, organization will say, okay, you know, we're committed to the environment, but they don't actually, they end up, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't do much to actually reduce their impact on the environment. Um, so it's really awesome to hear that, you, you know, the, there, there's those three uh, key areas that you'll be focusing on. Um, and, and taking an in-depth look at to, to see how you can reduce the impact on, on the environment. So um, there's currently a review being done by the government of Canada on um, in association with the Sport uh, Inclusion or Sport Information Resource Center um, on the future of Canada's sport policy. So this will sort of govern Canada's sport policy from 2023 to 2033, so for 10 years. Um, you know, as a Canadian sport leader, what would your advice be to, or what would your advice be, or what would you like to see in this new policy? <laughs> I'll be fully transparent. I haven't started it yet because I need to think more about it. So I'm super aware it's out there. I know we have to fill it out. There's some lobby groups going on in terms of what strategy we need to deploy in the intake, stakeholder intake period. But I do want to sit myself and think harder about it as a Canadian and as a Canadian sport leader. So, I mean, off the get-go, I would like to, con to continue seeing um, investments in hosting major events. So I really do believe that hosting major events leaves physical and social um, legacies in the country for sport and for uniting the country. So, I mean, who didn't watch or hear the FIFA announcement? It's exciting, right? Disappointing that um, Edmonton wasn't chosen, but exciting to see that Vancouver and Toronto are, are host cities. Um, Vancouver is hosting Invictus in 25, and we have the 2030 bid kind of put together. Um, so on that's on a macro international scale, but on a Canada game scale, maintaining our events, actually increasing the frequency would be great. So I'd like to suggest that I would love to see, you know, in the in the new hosting, in the new um, sport policy, a uh, commitment to hosting and a commitment to um, 
you know, making sure that we have infrastructure for sport development across the country and that we have funding for sport across the country. Mm -hmm. Did you just say an increase to the frequency of the Canada Games? Is that what you're hoping for? did should I have not said it out loud (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so I mean we've been hoping for this for a while um governments weren't ready when we brought forward a formal proposal several years ago but um absolutely I mean there's a missing generation the Canada summer games are only once every four years the winter games are once every four years so we recognize you know 40 percent roughly 40 percent of Canada games of of uh, sorry team Canada our Canada Games alumni. There's only a couple of ways we can fix that. Mm-hmm. So doubling the frequency of the Canada Games, in theory, would double our conversion onto um, Olympic teams. So that's one example, but there's other kind of examples. So yeah, I mean, increasing the frequency of the Canada Games would allow more communities to host, have more impact on infrastructure development and an equalitarian approach to infrastructure development and that the Canada Games travel across the country and they aren't concentrated in the large populous centers where we're seeing the major events concentrate in Canada. Right, Vancouver has been named for three massive international events, but it's on the far west coast of the country. So thankfully Toronto hosted Pan Ams over here and, um, but yeah. Interesting, Uh, that would be exciting to see. It would, I can't, I can't, you know, you you can't, I can't promise any of that, but it's certainly (laughs) something that we are cognizant would help us everywhere. So it would help us reimagine funding because sponsors would know who we were. It would help us reach greater audiences because we would double the frequency. It would increase our opportunity to reflect Canada's diversity by having more opportunities to have more sports and diversified sports on the program. We would as I mentioned earlier, reinforce the high performance pathway and it, um, you know, what we're doing for the environment piece, it would allow us to do that twofold. So 100%. David. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So I'm going to say sort of like my, my hopes for the, um, the new sport policy in Canada. Um, and I'm going to be quite, um, it's like frank with my, with my, with my hopes. Um, and I, I feel like, and um, you know, think also thinking back to the strategic review of the Canada Games Council, or uh, yeah, the strategic review. Um, I was so I'm speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for the Canada Games Council or anybody else. Um, I was a bit hesitant to have the high performance as a um, as a pillar because personally, I feel felt and feel that the can that the Canadian sports system is very very focused on high performance. And it's, and it's missing the other pieces, like the environmental aspect, the social aspect, and because we're just so focused on the high performance. Um, so my hope is that we, you know, obviously, you know, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with high performance. I think, you know, that's obviously an aspect of sport, right? Sport is, all, you know, all the times of competition. Um, but I, I really hope that in the new policy, we put a greater focus on sport for development. Um, and that, I, I feel like that has been lacking a lot in Canadian sport policy. Um, but so that that's sort of a, sort of my my hope for the next ten years of Canadian sport policy. Um, David, I just want to comment on that. If you'll let me, it's so um, interesting. It'll show my age for the record. But uh, 
there was a time it's funny I remember when this sports system shifted to the high performance focus so there was a time when it wasn't enough of a focus and then it kind of crystallized through 2010 that it's okay for Canadians to want to be the best and then there was literally a culture shift in the sports sector to not settle for second best that Canadians should be overt and have a goal and it's okay to want to be the best we're too humble as Canadians and that's kind of from my from my experience in the Canadian sports system that's where the shift kind of came to own the podium and so yeah I do believe we've seen a lot of things um, you know posted publicly about Canadians thinking that high performance isn't the most important thing right now but there was a time where Canadians were frustrated that we weren't winning enough medals our results weren't good enough on an international stage so um, it was born out of a response to citizens of the country at the time and it's interesting to see it coming around again. Hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, I so I, what balance we're going to strike. Yeah, I only started swimming in 2008. So I was, I guess I kind of started swimming right when that shift happened. And mm-hmm. I started coaching in 2000 and, uh, 2010. Um, so really right when that shift was going, was going on. And uh, like, I just, I don't know, to me, from my perspective, it was like, I'm, you know, a community coach. I just feel like sometimes we're just, you know, sometimes we're just forgetting that it's for fun. Right. I, I think that, you know, we're so focused and it's not just sport. It's, you know, our society is always like pushing to be the best. I think it's kind of reflective of you know, our society in general as well. You know, always has to be the best, always pushing towards that next thing, always trying to be better, always trying to outdo yourself, outdo others. Um, and I don't think that's always super healthy. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, a lot of elite athletes around the world, um, you know, we saw this past summer, several athletes not compete in the Tokyo Olympics because of their mental health, right? Because, um, you know, so, so what's more important, the, me- the, the medal or mental health of the athletes? And so I think that the focus on high performance sometimes gets in the way of people's mental health sometimes, but yeah, definitely, definitely very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Kellyanne, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, do you have any last uh, like messages that you'd like to leave with, any, uh, with everybody listening? No, I, well, I just want to say, David, it's been a pleasure, actually. I, I have to be honest, it might have been my first podcast. I hope that's okay. So it was actually a real pleasure chatting with you. It always is. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, the best we can do for everyone that might be listening that cares about the Canada Games movement is to celebrate the Canada Games. So do the best that you can to, to grow our brand and, and promote and reach more Canadians. So Um, any retweets and as much as support and things like that we can get during the games just help us grow this thing the way it deserves to be grown because it's a a tremendous Canadian brand and deserves to be very widely recognized and respected Mm -hmm. yeah the Canada games are definitely a very special event and I hold them very close to my heart because I competed at the games in 2013 um, yeah. And I hope this launches your podcast career, Kellyanne. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so excited that this is your first podcast. So I hope you, I hope there's lots of podcasts in your future. Well, uh, thanks. Thank you so much. Good job. Thanks. Thank you once again to Kellyanne for taking the time to speak with me today about the future of the Canada Games movement and the future of uh, sport events. 
Now, I think these are conversations that are really important to be having right now, um, especially because we are, as I said in the podcast, um, we're going through a, a time of great disruption and it, we really need to make sure that we're making purpose at the center of what we do to make sure that we're making everything work for society. Um, you know, around the world, we're going through a healthcare crisis, you know, a housing affordability crisis here in Canada, um, you know, physical activity crisis. There's, there's many different uh, crises going on in our society that we have to address somehow. So my key, my key takeaway from this episode is that, you know, we really have to make sure that we are incorporating uh, legacy impact into the planning of the whole organization right from the get-go. So not just for of the event itself, but we have to make sure that all aspects of an organization, you know, so like the Canada Games Council, the International Olympic Committee, any sort of um, overseeing body of a, of a sport event, we need to make sure that it's focused on it as well. Because if if that sport, if that, you know, uh, governing body or uh, organizing committee or whatever you want to call it hasn't taken into account the impact and the legacy and how and how we can leverage those sport events then the hosting committee the hosting societies won't think about those things and they won't incorporate them unless unless they're mandated by the oversight body we won't see it happen so we have to make sure that all steps are thinking about legacy or thinking about impact of the sport event. There has to be measured and measurable outcomes that show how these are how how our sporting events are meeting um, the needs of the community, meeting the needs of society. So if you are listening on Spotify, uh, if you scroll down underneath the uh, podcast description there's a question. So what do you think the benefits and drawbacks to hosting mega sport events are? Let us know your thoughts. Please you know, send us a comment. If you don't have, um, you know, if you're not listening on Spotify, definitely send us a tweet, a DM on Twitter, or you can tweet us, um, or you can send us email. Um, all that information is in the bio, is in the uh, podcast description. So let us know your thoughts. Um, and that's it for today. So thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time.